1: Exhale slowly, leaning to one side. Inhale back to center. If safe to do so, exhale slowly to the opposite side. Find mental health resources at loveyourmindtoday.org. This message is brought to you by the Huntsman Mental Health Institute and the Ed Council.
2: Hey, everyone. This is Molly and Matt, and we're the hosts of Grown Up Stuff, How to Adult, a podcast from Ruby Studio and iHeart Podcasts.
0: It's a show dedicated to helping you figure out the trickiest parts of adulting.
2: Like how to start planning for retirement, creating a healthy skincare routine, understanding when and how much to tip someone, and so much more.
0: Let's learn about all of it, and then some. Listen to Grown Up Stuff How to Adult on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search Grown Up Stuff.
3: Grown Up Stuff. Prodigy is a production of iHeart Radio. When an illness or pain is psychosomatic, it means it's caused by stress. But good luck telling someone in intense, prolonged pain that it's all in their head. Because it's not actually all in their head. The origin of the stress is, but the physical manifestation is quite real. It happens all the time. It's not a question of if stress affects your body. I mean, that's pretty obvious. All you have to do is measure someone's blood pressure. It's how do you stop it? Especially when most people can't actually avoid the things that create the stress. I mean, life in general is pretty damn stressful. I have some level of constant anxiety that I push down every day. I may not always see an immediate reaction like these freaking pimples that popped up last night, probably because I cussed out an anti-vaxxer yesterday. But over time, this can lead to debilitating chronic pain, and a very common area for it to show up is your back. We used to consider this mainly pseudoscience, or as I call it, junk science, and I can understand why. We don't really understand the brain all that well, and it does seem like the perfect place for a snake oil salesman to turn a profit. But we do know that the mind and body are powerfully interconnected. So let's find out how we can get better control over our own brains. My name is Lowell Berlanti, and this is Prodigy. So, I'm a huge skeptic. Like, wow, that study is a cool headline, but where's the meta-analysis? And my dad is a notorious forwarder of articles. You know, the ones that are like, eating lentils twice a week shown to prolong lifespan, or garlic can cure certain forms of cancer. The last one he sent me was about curing chronic pain. It was based on the work of Dr. Sarno. I didn't pay much attention to it, but the next day I got an email from a public relations person that I really like to see if I was interested in doing an episode with someone on the same subject. That was pretty much enough to get me interested. I mean, how powerful is the mind-body connection? So we scheduled it out. A week later, my parents visited, so I sat down to record with my dad. This is Fred.
4: My father had back pain like his entire life. I remember him a couple of times crawling into the house where he couldn't be doing some gardening, and he'd come in and in tremendous back pain. I mean, literally screaming in back pain. The thing that I found odd that in all those years growing up in the 50s and 60s, my dad has all this back pain. He retires at 65 and completely the back pain stops. I never, ever, ever after his retirement heard any back pain. And you could argue a lot of things. He was an accountant. He sat at a desk all day long. But the truth is that the stress left his life. And so the pain left his life. And so it's the same thing with me. I was uh, when I had my automotive shops. One of the shops, I was. I saw some oil on the floor. I picked up a heavy mop and I started, you know, cleaning it, twisting my body like a golfer twists his body. I just wrenched my back and it was in tremendous pain. So, such pain that I that I was literally. I went to bed that night. I couldn't get out of bed. I had to screech myself, drag myself out of bed. First, I tried an orthopedic guy. I couldn't get any appointments. We tried, went straight to a chiropractor. We saw a local chiropractor, went to his office. He tapped my back, tap, 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 nothing. But he showed me an x-ray. He said, you have some serious problems. He said, I could see this. And and he showed, look, he said, you don't need to be a a doctor here. You could see that there's no no cartilage between the bones of these different parts of your spine. And I can't remember what he said, the L2, the L3. I don't know what it was, but he showed me on a a number of places. He said, you'll be in pain the rest of your life. However, I'll try to help you as best I can, but you'll never get out of this. You'll always be in pain. I went home and I got the book and I can't remember how it got to me because it's been so many years, but I got the book. I started reading it and I started doing some of the the work. He says he really suggests to literally scream at your pain, try to stop yourself. And it sounds crazy, but it really works. And, and then do some meditation. I did some, some, some meditation work with myself. And uh, after a while, I don't know, a couple of days, the pain stopped. And I haven't had that pain since. Fred's
3: story isn't quite done yet. We'll hear more from him later. Dr. Sarno believed that chronic back, neck, and limb pain that couldn't be treated by standard medicine was caused by stress. He coined the term tension myositis syndrome, or TMS for short. He also included gastrointestinal and dermatological issues in it. But the primary symptom was back pain. His work was rejected at the time, and he was mocked by his peers. In fact, it still isn't accepted by mainstream medicine. However, some people say he changed their life. And not just a few crazy people, a lot of very sane people. Dr. Sarno has passed, but his work has not. Dr. David Hanscom is a former orthopedic surgeon who has treated thousands of patients during his 32-year career. He quit his practice after realizing how critical this work is. He recently released a book titled, Do You Really Need Spine Surgery? Take Control with a Surgeon's Advice.
5: My name is David Hanscom. I am an orthopedic spine surgeon and I practiced complex spine surgery for over 30 years in Seattle, Washington. Eventually learned through a lot of experience that spine surgery doesn't always work that well. In fact, I'm one of the surgeons who was one of the more aggressive surgeons in the country for about eight years. When I came out of my spine fellowship, Seattle had nine times the rate of spine surgery per capita as any place in the country. And I was part of that juggernaut. We just thought we had things really figured out. And I would actually feel badly if I didn't find a reason to do spine surgery. I eventually found out about years in my practice that the success rate for a spine fusion for back pain was about 22%. And I just instantly stopped. I did not know what to do, but I knew I wasn't going to keep doing that. So I went into chronic pain myself for about 15 years and slowly learned ways to solve chronic pain that do not include surgery, occasionally include surgery. But it's been quite a journey. And about two years ago, I actually quit my practice of spine surgery to actually pursue this project full time. What exactly is a fusion? So what a fusion is, is basically welding together bones. For instance, if you have an ankle fusion, you take the joint, you destroy it, roughen it up, and then over time the body turns it into a solid piece of bone. Same thing with vertebrae, is that you put in screws in place to hold it still, and then you place bone graft across that segment. Then what happens, the metal is just temporary until the bone graft heals. So it's the bone that keeps the fusion solid. So what you're doing, you're eliminating motion between vertebrae. And the idea is that the disc is the source of the pain. Then by doing a fusion, you'll actually get rid of the pain. What's ironic, and I can hardly say this without getting upset, what's ironic is that we do not know where back pain comes from most of the time. But what we do know, it's been well documented, that disc degeneration is not a cause of pain. Yet It is the most common reason we do surgery for
3: back pain. What types of situations do need surgery?
5: Well, for instance, there's decompression surgery where you have a pinched nerve, and for instance, if you have sciatica or pain down your arm, and that particular nerve is being pinched, when you take the pressure off of that nerve, the results are almost 100%. And sometimes when you don't do the surgery, it's almost impossible to solve it without surgery. As far as a fusion for back pain, it's an operation that should never be done, period. should not be done. And I actually equate it to doing frontal lobotomies. There's no data for it. There's not one research paper in 60 years that says doing a fusion for back pain makes any sense, particularly since the reason we're doing the fusion, the degenerated disc, bone spurs, arthritis, have been well documented and not be the source of pain. So for back pain, neck pain, there's tumors and infections and fractures that need to be stabilized. Remember, a fusion takes an unstable segment and stabilizes it. So there are times to do it, but that probably happens less than 5% of the time. The bottom line in spine surgery, for it to be effective, you have to clearly identify the problem before you can fix it. With back pain, you don't know where the pain is coming from. And we do the surgery anyway. And again, the data is just dismal as far as the success of a back fusion for back pain.
3: So your argument is is that it has to be something that you can see structurally, and then that structural has to also match up with the patient's um, symptoms they're feeling?
5: Correct. And it's not that hard. I mean, if you go to a dentist with a you know painful tooth, you see the cavity and fix it, it works pretty well, right? hmm But what if you go to the dentist with just mouth pain, and you can't identify which tooth it is? Maybe it's the gums, maybe it's the sinuses, who knows what it could be? and you start doing random procedures, how's that gonna work? You know, not very well. And same thing, you take a car to the shop, unless the mechanic makes an accurate diagnosis as to what the problem is, and starts doing random interventions, it doesn't work. It's the same thing with spine surgery. There's some sort of, I'll use the word, urban legend, that if all else has failed, let's do surgery. Well, if all else has failed for a surgical problem, then do the surgery. I mean, many surgical lesions, by the way, are solved without surgery, but at least if you have a surgical lesion that you can see, surgery is an option. Most spine surgery that fails is done on situations that you can't even see the problem.
3: What percentage of people, there's no structural like things that you can see on an MRI scan?
5: Well, it's just an estimate. I just say the vast majority of spine surgery should not be done. And again, with back pain, it's less than 5% you can actually see the problem. So 95% of back pain is coming from muscles, tendons, ligaments, who knows where it's coming from, but it's not coming from something that you can see. Yet we're really close, actually upwards of $20 billion a year doing spine surgeries on normally aging spines.
3: Okay. One of the things I saw that you said is that the last five years of neuroscience research has been like, we've made a lot of steps forward. Can you explain what some of that has uh, taught us?
5: Well, let's go back to my medical school days, which I wish they had actually taught me this back then. So everybody knows what phantom limb pain is, right? Where you lose an arm or leg because of trauma or infection or diabetes. And before you lose the arm or the leg, there's lots of pain. But when you do the amputation, over half the patients still feel the same pain they had before the surgery. In other words, the brain memorized the pain. So the limb is gone. Why would the pain still be there? And I remember being a medical student, going, "Well, that's interesting," but nobody ever explained to me what was going on. It turns out that with chronic pain, that can occur in any part of the body, it can be with headache, stomach pain, back pain, neck pain, any pain in the body can be memorized because what you're doing, you're firing these unpleasant impulses to your nervous system, but they're coming in so quickly that they get memorized within about three to six months. So, indeed, what happens with back pain, for instance, they've done a very nice study in two thousand fourteen that showed that if you take acute back pain that becomes chronic that it switches from the pain center in the brain to the emotional center so you have the same pain but a different driver and it's now memorized so it doesn't matter what you do like for instance if you have phantom leg pain you can't do more surgery on a leg that's not there so what we do reprogram your brain you can retrain your brain to go to parts of the brain that don't have pain for instance phantom limb pain which is something I did not think was solvable is actually quite solvable with the concepts that neuroscience has showed us the last five years. So phantom limb pain we see disappear. Not just to live with it, it actually disappears. All right, let's take a quick break. We'll be right back.
1: Snakes, zombies, sharks, heights, speaking in public—the list of fears is endless. But while you're clutching your blanket in the dark, wondering if that sound in the hall was actually a footstep. The real danger is in your hand when you're behind the wheel. And while you might think a great white shark is scary, what's really terrifying and even deadly is distracted driving. Eyes forward. Don't drive distracted. Brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council.
2: Hey, everyone. This is Molly and Matt, and we're the hosts of Grown Up Stuff, How to Adult, a podcast from Ruby Studio and iHeart Podcasts.
0: It's a show dedicated to helping you figure out the trickiest parts of adulting. We're going to figure out the benefits of a high-yield savings account.
2: And what exactly are the duties of being a member of the wedding party?
0: All that plus so much more.
2: Let's learn about all of it and then some. Listen to Grown Up Stuff How to Adult on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
0: Grown Up Stuff.
3: For more info on my dog, or to find any links mentioned in this episode, visit ProdigyPodcast.com. Let's jump to what the cause of that pain is.
5: So what we're finding out that mental pain is actually a bigger problem than physical pain because what happens is that your brain processes negative thoughts and unpleasant emotions the same way they process a physical threat. Same part of the brain, same reaction, And what happens when you're under threat of any kind, mental or physical, that your body secretes adrenaline, cortisol, all these different stress hormones, and then your body's on fire, hypervigilant, but it also stimulates the immune system. So your brain actually becomes inflamed and sensitized. So the problem that humans have is that you can't escape your thoughts. So these pathways get laid down, so the mental pain, I think, that chronic pain is a disease of human consciousness, that the pathways get laid down early on in life. And what's even more of a problem than expressed thoughts and emotions is repressed thoughts and emotions. And that's what got me in deep trouble personally, is that I'm a major spine surgeon. I always joke with my wife, but I'm not that much of a joke, is that you know, normal people don't become spine surgeons. It's not a normal way to live your life. So I was just an incredible master suppressing stress, just stuffed it. I mean, what was I supposed to do? It's tremendous stresses. You're on a tightrope all day long, every day for years. And so I just stuffed it. But at age 37, I went from being a fearless surgeon to crippling anxiety in one day. I had a panic attack. So I thought anxiety was psychological. I actually went into counseling to try to solve it. It turns out anxiety is the result of the threat, not the cause. So I think anxiety in terms of a psychological issue, we try to fix it and solve it. If you think about it, how long would any of us survive without anxiety? Not very long. You wouldn't breathe, you wouldn't eat, you'd walk out into the street. So anxiety is a survival mechanism. It's how we evolve, it's how we survive, so it's a gift. But the key to this whole process of what is called the DOC journey, direct your own care journey, is that you understand that anxiety is what you have. It's not who you are. In the unconscious brain, the survival response processes about 20 million bits of information per second, 20 million. The conscious brain processes 40, four zero, 20 million versus 40. So you can't do mind over matter, which I did for a long time. You can get away with it for a while. What you have to do is simply separate your identity from this reaction and realize it's a very powerful, amoral survival response, And then you learn to, what I call, develop a working relationship with it. So it turns out when I offer patients surgery to get rid of the leg pain or their arm pain versus dropping down their anxiety, they want to get rid of their anxiety almost to the person. So even now, I have arthritis in my hips and knees. It's actually more physical pain than I had back years ago when I had the chronic pain. But with the chronic pain, I had the anxiety. I also had 17 different symptoms. I had migraine headaches, stomach issues, back pain, neck pain, burning in my feet, skin rashes. There's over 30 different symptoms that occur from your body chemistry being off. So anxiety is just a word that describes the state of being hyper alert, hyper vigilant, and it describes the body's chemistry, but it's not a psychological issue. And this is
3: related to the, is it pronounced vagus nerve?
5: Right. What I'm excited about, there's a Dr. Stephen Porges, who now lives in Florida, but he worked out of Indiana for many years. He wrote a book called The Polyvagal Theory. He's been researching what's called the vagus nerve for over 40 years. And the vagus nerve is the 10th cranial nerve, which means it's a nerve that originates directly off the brain. So below the brain, this was called the midbrain, there are 12 cranial nerves, and the vagus nerve is the 10th cranial nerve. And so it's the autonomic nervous system, and the reason why it's called autonomic, because it automatically controls everything. It controls your respiratory rate, sweating, your stomach action, bladder action, blood pressure, all these things are controlled by the vagus nerve. So about 80% of it's input from the body, and about 20% of it's output back to the body. So what happens is that when you are under threat, your immune system is stimulated, so your sympathetic nervous system fires up, you have tremendous amount of inflammation. The vagus nerve is parasympathetic, which is strongly anti-inflammatory. So there's a bunch of interventions you can do that that directly stimulate the vagus nerve, which is very, very powerful as far as anti-inflammatory effect. So it turns out that chronic pain, anxiety, depression, bipolar are all inflammatory disorders.
3: I wanted to ask, I guess, you developed a treatment that you, I guess, learned through your own experience. Can you go into a little bit about what that is?
5: So awareness is the first step. The second step is that chronic pain is complicated. It's affected by sleep, stress, exercise, medications, life outlook. All these things affect pain. And what we're doing in medicine, we're throwing random simplistic solutions at a complex problem. It can't work, and guess what, it doesn't work. Each person has a different set of variables. So the second factor is is that you have to treat every aspect of it simultaneously which sounds daunting, but actually not. So once you understand the three to five variables that are affecting you, and each one is addressed simultaneously, things start to add up. So for instance, sleep is a big deal. So sleep could add 20%. Anxiety, frustration is a big deal, because your nervous system is fired up. Another 20, 30%. Chiropractic could be another 10, 15%. So it's an additive process. And the third step is, the patient has to take control, in other words, The only person that can really solve the problem for you is going to be you. So you take the knowledge, the variables, you take your particular take on it, and then you'll find your own solution. So it's very much of a self-directed process. You don't need pain clinics. There's just a bunch of ways to calm your nervous system response down or neurochemistry down to help everything resolve. And the pain really does go away.
3: Well, that's great. I, I I love when I hear it's not a single simple answer because to me that's like always the indicator that it's bullcrap. Um, <laughs> but let's say you're in a situation where you know you have a stressful job and there's just you. It's not like you can avoid it. Like, what would you do to change your thinking so that you can reduce that anxiety?
5: That's a great question because first of all, stress kills people. You, you know that, right? I mean, it's been well documented in hundreds of research papers that chronic stress kills people, but what people forget, they talk about stress management, but the stress that's actually damaging to your body is the stress that you can't control. So it's the chronic stress that's actually the most damaging, and so acute stress, your body fires up, you calm down and move on. With chronic stress, day after day after day, whether it's finances or a spouse or a job, whatever's going on, your body's exposed to sustained elevated levels of inflammatory markers. The biggest stress, by the way, are your thoughts. People cannot escape their human consciousness, so thoughts are even a bigger stressor than the circumstances. So the solution principle, again there's lots of details, but I'll just try to give an overview, is that stress isn't the problem, it's your chemical reaction to it. You have a stressor, whatever it is, avoiding stress, in fact, is impossible, and again, the stresses that are the most damaging are the ones that you cannot control. So what you're doing, there's two things you can do. Instead of being stress, automatic survival response is what we're supposed to do. That's what we're automatically programmed to do is go into a survival reaction. So any threat is met with a survival reaction. The key issue is called neuroplasticity. You're actually stimulating your brain to change in a different direction. And the new set of circuits in your brain do not have the same pain pathways. They do not have the same reactivity. So it basically with neuroplasticity, you have these stress. Then you create some space and then you redirect. If you're just trying to redirect to fight the impulses, you're not going to win. Remember, the mind over matter doesn't work. So we start the process with a very effective tool, which is incredibly simple and actually broke me out of 15 years of chronic pain. It's called expressive writing. And there's over a thousand research papers that documents that it works. And it's not the solution, but it is the starting point where you write your thoughts down on paper. It can be anything, positive or negative, and you instantly tear them up. And you can't control your thoughts, but you can separate from them. So your thoughts are on the table, you have a space between you and the thoughts that's now connected with vision and feel, which are part of the unconscious brain. So from a neuroplasticity standpoint, the first step of solving chronic pain is called expressive running. So what that does accomplish is awareness and separation in one step. And then the reprogramming could be just take a deep breath, drop your shoulders, And let's go back to the vagus nerve for a second. So for instance, slow breathing is anti-inflammatory. So you can do the expressive writing, then do some slow breathing of less than 10 breaths per minute It's anti-inflammatory. Or you can do some mindfulness work. You just place your attention on taste or smell or feel. Again, you've redirected. So instead of fighting, for instance, unpleasant thoughts, simply redirect your attention, not to distract yourself. Remember, you have to feel the pain first before you can redirect. And that is one of the hardest parts of the project is that if you're just doing these tools to avoid feeling pain, that's not going to work. So you have to allow yourself to feel the pain and then redirect. People don't want to feel the pain. And it's a a learned skill. In other words, it's not about just diving into the pain and being macho and being tough. That's actually very counterproductive. But there's a word we use called pendulation, which means you back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And you do and deal with the pain as you can tolerate it and some days are better than others. One of the first things I tell people in general, just give yourself a break. You're in chronic pain, you should be angry, you should be frustrated, you're angry, and you're frustrated. It's not gonna disappear tomorrow, but people get hard on themselves, and self critical, they're really frustrated, they're blaming the person who hurt them. All those things fire up the nervous system where the essence of the solution is learning how to calm down your nervous system. So the essence of the problem is ongoing exposure to a threat, mental or physical, with mental being the bigger problem. And the essence of the solution is finding safety, which means you learn the tools to control your body's neurochemistry. And once you have those tools to change your body's neurochemistry, you're free.
3: All right, let's take a quick break. We'll be right back.
1: Let's take a moment to breathe. Deep inhale. Extend your spine. Remain focused on what you're doing. If safe to do so, exhale slowly, leaning to one side. Inhale back to center. If safe to do so, exhale slowly to the opposite side. Find mental health resources at loveyourmindtoday.org. This message is brought to you by the Huntsman Mental Health Institute and the Ed Council.
2: Hey, everyone, this is Molly and Matt, and we're the hosts of Grown Up Stuff, How to Adult, a podcast from Ruby Studio and iHeart Podcasts.
0: It's a show dedicated to helping you figure out the trickiest parts of adulting.
2: Like how to start planning for retirement, creating a healthy skincare routine, understanding when and how much to tip someone, and so much more.
0: Here's a clip from an upcoming episode featuring the weekly home checks, Keyshawn Lane, that you won't want to miss.
2: Catch new episodes of Grown Up Stuff: How to Adult every other Tuesday on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts.
0: Grown Up Stuff. It's the Breakfast
1: Club, the world's most dangerous morning show. Hey, Angela E is kind of like the big sister that always pokes you in the forehead. <laughs>
4: That's not how it goes?
1: That's not how
4: anything goes. Yimby's really like a robot. One of the best DJs ever. Believe that.
1: Charlamagne is the wild card.
4: And I'm about to give somebody the credit they deserve for being stupid.
1: I know that's right. What
4: is wrong with you? Listen to The Breakfast Club weekday
0: mornings from 6 to 10 on 106.7 The Beat. Columbus is real hip-hop and R&B.
3: Welcome back to Prodigy. For more info on my dog or to find any links mentioned in this episode, visit prodigypodcast.com.
5: Your neurochemistry really does change nerve conduction slows down, the inflammation in your brain drops down dramatically, your organs function better, your metabolism's better, and pain actually disappears. It's, it's And it's shocking, I mean, I'm a surgeon, and I will tell you historically I've been one of those people that when I saw somebody walk in my office with chronic pain, I just sort of roll my eyes and go, whatever. Because there's a really horrible diagnosis going on right now, which I'm really upset about now. I would not have been this way 20 years ago, but It's called Medically Unexplained Symptoms. Have you heard this diagnosis at all?
3: Uh, No, but I'm familiar with people like having that type of thing.
5: So the stuff I'm talking about has been in the medical literature for at least 30 years. This is not new news. I'm I'm not discovering new inventions. I'm not discovering new knowledge. I'm uncovering stuff that's already there, but for some reason has not made it into the mainstream medical thinking. So this has been around for a long time as a body's response to a threat, Creates a reaction that's unpleasant that forces you to survive. So again, the tools like acupuncture, um, medical hypnosis, EMDR, all these different things I thought was just crazy. You know, I'm a surgeon, right? So what you're actually doing is directly stimulating the vagus nerve. For instance, humming stimulates the seventh cranial nerve, which is next to the vagus nerve, and just humming actually is anti-inflammatory.
3: Are these referred to as some
5: like somatic tools? Yes. Okay. So when you use the word medically unexplained symptoms, it's really upsetting to me because everything's wrong. Your glucose is up, your cortisol is up, your heart rate's going, your inflammatory markers are through the ceiling. The inflammatory markers, ones called IL six, these interleukins or cytokines, are through the ceiling. Your body's off. Everything's wrong. So the symptoms are completely explained by changes in the body physio- body's physiology. The it's been well documented that the anatomy has little if anything to do with pain. So that the fact that the medical profession has now come up with this new term called medically unexplained symptoms, to me, if you're a patient, of course, how do you think you feel? You're really just saying, well, we don't know what's going on. You're gonna have to live with it. It's sort of implied that, you know, something you're just not, you're not that strong. You're not that tough. The impact of chronic pain has been documented in several research papers that have the same impact on a person's life as having terminal cancer. And my argument, and actually one of the papers did say this, is that it's actually worse. Because with terminal cancer, you know what the diagnosis is, right? And you know there's an end point, good or bad. With chronic pain, you have only uncertainty. Nobody tells you the diagnosis. You get bounced around. There's no hope of an end point. And people in chronic pain are absolutely miserable. And that's why I came up with this term that, that I think you right called the abyss. You're in this dark hole. There's no bottom, there's no way out. What do you do? It's a horrible place to live. And I was in that abyss for at least 15 years.
3: My understanding is like, you know, because we don't really understand the brain all that well, but you're saying that you can take a look at these patients um, and see their, like, elevated stress level.
5: We do know that the autonomic nervous system is sort of the, like, grand central station directing the traffic. We know that in the periphery, that if you have an injury to your toe, you can sense believe it or not, your nervous system is actually an extension of your toe. It did not develop the other way around. In other words, you have one cell bacteria that became two cell, four cell, whatever. Eventually these organisms became so big they had to develop a nervous system to interpret the data. So we have it backwards. We think the brain developed first, it did not. It's actually the one cell organisms developed first and it worked in that direction. So it's your nervous system is connecting to the body that, doc, that directs the traffic. And so that's why I don't use the word mind-body syndrome anymore or psychosomatic because it's just a unit. You can't sense pain; your body can't function without a nervous system, and vice versa. So it's just a unit response to the environment, and we try to treat it psychologically. And it's just one unit.
3: And are these the these tools that uh, you use for treating this um, at at the source? Are they something that you have to do ongoing?
5: Well, they become a way of life, they're instinctual, so I probably spend, I would say, okay, I've been doing this for 15 years, I've been pain-free now for about 15 years, after suffering for 15 years, so the things that I, it's a learned skill, and you get better better with repetition, but I would say it's probably 10 minutes a day spent in actually thinking about it, so there's a little tool called expressive writing, so if you write down my thoughts, tear them up, that's about five or 10 minutes at the most, sometimes 30 seconds, What's called active meditation, where I simply place my attention on another sensation, it happens all day long, three to five seconds. One tool is not discussing your pain, no complaining. Well, that's something that you just don't do. So the key issue is awareness of when your body's fired up versus it's not. Then you use these tools that you've learned to instinctively change directions, and pretty soon, just like any athlete or artist, that change in direction starts becoming very automatic. So yeah, it's it's a matter of processing information differently. Going back to your original situation, question about you know if you have a situation that you can't avoid, what do you do? Well, again, you just automatically learn to create that space and substitute. Then the structure of your brain physically changes.
3: Right, so it becomes more automatic. And um, do you ever, let's say, you have a really really bad day, or you forget to um, practice use your tools? Um, do, do you ever feel? pain coming back a little bit?
5: All the time. Okay. So so here's the key, is that, see people, <laughs> it's a bit of a story. But the bottom line is, is that life comes at us, and like last week I didn't sleep very well for a night, and the next day, for instance, lack of sleep, one night of bad sleep has been shown to double people's pain the next day. And guess what, my hip and knee just flared right up. Then I felt sort of frustrated and angered myself, so I did to my expressive writing, I went into this victim mode, poor me, and so I had three or four days, I was sort of rough. But I do know what to do, so I, you know, last night I got good sleep, I did a little expressive writing, I'm just dropping it down, I'm enjoying talking to you. So, yeah, people think that the goal is to be pain-free and live in nirvana, and the goal becomes practicing the tools so you don't stay in the hole for very long. So the
3: day after I recorded that bit with my dad, I got a phone call from my mom. And I swear, I'm not making this up. My dad was having terrible back pain. He could barely even walk. This all happened about four months ago. So while editing this episode and writing this voiceover, I gave him a call to follow up.
6: Well, the pain was intense, you know I mean? On a scale of 1 to 10, it was like a 10. It almost made me immobile. Couldn't couldn't even drive home. It was just a lot of pain. And I don't know why it was. And I, I suspect that maybe I was sitting... Sort of on a chair, and there's w- I had been sweating a little bit, and there was a cool breeze coming off the sliding glass door. And it probably hit my back, I'm thinking that might have caused it. I mean, I don't really know what caused it. I have no idea.
3: So, what did you do? Because you're feeling better now, right?
6: Yeah, I'm feeling better now. But I went a bunch of relaxation things. I did some stretching. I did seven, eight physical therapy sessions. I was in a lot of pain, and it started to go away. I, I started. I, I listen I did a lot of the uh Sarno watched a couple of videos that Sarno had put out, but really, I couldn't overcome it. it it was too much pain I couldn't think it away really. I couldn't think, gee, this is something in my mind that i should it should stop. It just wouldn't happen.
3: Are you a hundred percent now?
6: No, I'm not a hundred percent. I still feel some back pain every once in a while. I felt some today, but like today I did I, when I had the back pain, the meditation, the relaxation. And that really, believe it or not, that helps.
3: Has your position changed at all since like, you experienced that pain that you couldn't uh, seemingly cure with the uh, purely mental stuff?
6: Yeah, it did kind of change. Because the first time I had it, you know, 25 years ago, yeah, I was able to just sort of, once I read Sarno's book and realized what it was, I said, "Ah, oh, this is it. It is unresolved pain. And I, I kept trying to talk myself out of it and kind of yelling at myself. Even to get myself back, and then it stopped. It went away in a few days. This thing didn't go away in a few days. This took, took like three weeks, and it was a lot of pain for the three weeks. So, yeah, is it? Is, it, is it, has my position changed? No.
3: I don't know whether to think that the timing of my dad's pain means that the mind-body connection is more or less meaningful. Regardless, I think if you're experiencing chronic pain or anxiety, it's worth a shot. It clearly is helping some people. I have like a thing I, I play computer game and I use my pinky to hit shift a lot, and that's like a repetitive motion. Right. And so, like, for physical therapy gives me like stretches to do for that. But I right. mean, that's just a repetitive motion thing. So, was that something that would show up on a on an MRI scan, or or what do you think that's the the cause of?
5: No, and that's what's ironic about the human body. And way before I I knew much about chronic pain, anything about chronic pain is that ninety percent of all pain in the body doesn't show up on any imaging tests. In other words, if you have rotator cuff pain, maybe it shows up in the MRI scan and it probably doesn't. Same thing with back pain, neck pain. So you get these tissues that are irritated, but nothing will show up in an MRI scan or or any imaging study for that matter. But I will tell you that tendonitis is probably some of the most painful pains in the body.
3: And I guess uh, like anything I missed or main takeaway that you want people to get from this?
5: Well, I was trying to recommend, I mean, looking at my book, Back in Control, A Surgeon's Roadmap Out of Chronic Pain, gives you a nice foundation about what to do. And again, the three parts of getting better is awareness, treating every aspect simultaneously, and then you taking control. And then there's two choices. One is called the docjourney.com, where you can go through a sequence that's been successful for many, many patients. We have watched hundreds of patients go to pain-free. And then I also, if you were contemplating spine surgery, I wrote a book called Do You Really Need Spine Surgery? And what it does is a very detailed informed consent that really will clarify your decision making in a way that you don't make a bad decision. You do not want to be a failed back surgery patient. You just do not want to do that. So it's all very self-directed, it's all very doable, none of it's very hard to understand. I actually quit my surgical practice because I was watching so much damage being done by procedures that weren't indicated. And so it's discouraging me that the problem's that big that I felt compelled to do this because I loved my practice. But I'm also very happy to watch many, many people go to Pain-Free with really minimal resources.
3: Great, yeah. I definitely came in as a skeptic, but uh, I feel convinced. So that was great. Thank you so much.
5: Yeah, you're welcome. And anyway, obviously, I'm always happy to answer more questions because it, it, it is a paradigm shift. Dr. Hanscom has two books
3: out. His first one is called Back in Control, and his second is Do You Really Need Spine Surgery? You can find more info at backincontrol.com. Prodigy was created and produced by me, Lowell Berlanti. The executive producer is Tyler Klang. Thanks so much for listening. If you want to help out, you can follow the show on Apple Podcasts or share an episode with a friend. I also really appreciate it when listeners send me messages and I respond to everyone.
1: My simple solution to the problem was remove people from the scene and help them feel safer. In
3: response to attacks against Asian-Americans...